Pastor Ed Taylor with an excellent prayer to add to your daily time with the Lord. When Jesus says that he's the good shepherd, he's promising goodness in your life. He's promising mercy. They'll follow you. They'll be a part of you all the days of your life. Not like it was when you were your own shepherd or you submitted yourself to something else. You didn't live for God. You didn't su- it's not like that. that. That's not. Goodness and mercy don't follow those that can try to control their own life. No, just trouble and disaster follow those that live for themselves. But with the good shepherd, goodness and mercy, you can pray for that. You can claim this from God. God, show me your goodness. Extend to me your mercy all the days of your life. There's a thing in our life right now that this is the daily prayer. Not we're just saying, Lord, show us mercy. Show us mercy. This is amazing grace. It's time for Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We've got an encouraging message all lined up for you today from the 23rd Psalm and John chapter 10. We're listening to Jesus describe himself as the good shepherd and again, asking ourselves, what does a good shepherd look like? We'll see today, he takes very good care of us, bringing tender mercy to us at just the right time. He comforts and disciplines us when needed and so much more. So let's lean in and be encouraged by what God has to say to us through his word. Dark times come. Shadows of death come our way, both in a very personal, close to us. For us personally, we're going to face death one time, soon enough. You know, it's appointed once for a man to die, and then the judgment. And the floods of pain are all around us, whether it's our personal life or our friends and family. The avalanches of dreams crumbling. The poisonous plants of the world that's always bidding me to nibble on them. And unfortunately, we do all too much. Predators are before us and behind us. We're going to find out in a moment in verse 5 that God, our good shepherd, will even prepare a table before our enemies. Like our enemies will be watching us feasting at the table of God. And the shepherd would take good care of us. Now, remember, we've looked at this uh, because this is a section in John 10 that the shepherd had all kinds of tools that were available to him. He had a belt around his tunic, you know, and it was wrapped around and things would be hanging on his belt like a little leather pouch where he could take rocks and maybe bring his lunch with him and have little stones there ready to, to shoot out. Next to the pouch would be his sling or his slingshot. Because he was a master, and it wasn't a slingshot like, you know, that you would pull back. It was one that you would swing around, and you'd be able to, boom, pull the, shoot the rock right exactly where you would want. A very skilled shepherd would know how to use the sling, how to have his pouch, his leather pouch. He'd have a horn of oil with him, because the horn of oil, as we'll see in a moment, would be used um, in a variety of different ways to anoint the, the sheep and take care of them. But of most importance here is the staff and the rod. That's what the psalmist says. The staff and the rod, they bring comfort. Now, the staff was about an eight-foot-long, seven to eight-foot-long stick with a large, rounded crook on it. I'm sure if I had one to show you, you'd know exactly. How many of you guys know what a shepherd's staff looks like? You got, so, you know, it's, it's long, it has a little crook on it, and that would bring comfort to the sheep because they'd often, the sheep would often feel that. 
Uh, it would be something they would nudge. It would be something with the hook. They could pull a sheep away from, from a fight. And it was just that visual where you just see it and it brings comfort. And that's what he says. I just know if I, can, if I can't see the shepherd, but I can see his staff, that brings comfort to me. I'm just reminded I've felt that staff before. And if I see the staff, then I know the shepherd is near. But not only the staff, but also the rod. Now, it's hard to conceive right now in our minds how a rod could be such a comfort to the sheep, but it would be because a rod is not seven feet high. It's just a little club. It would be used in hand-to-hand combat with predators if they needed to deal with them face-to-face. And David did. Remember when David was, was talking to King Saul about going to kill Goliath? He said, you know, I have fought lions and bears, man. I, I've taken a lion by the beard. I mean, that, that's a, what's one crazy kid? That's a kid without any fear. I mean, that's why I think there's a sense where kids without any fear, like Jesus says, you, you and I are to come to him like little children. There's a bravery and a courage and a trust now, of course, that can get you in a little bit of trouble uh, not having fear because God is going to develop that where you understand danger. You understand, you know, doing something recklessly and doing something carefully. The shepherd wasn't reckless. He would take on any predator and he had the club to take care of business. And we also remember, this is by way of review, we, we learned that a shepherd would also on occasion use that club on a wayward sheep in a very loving way. For a sheep that would constantly stray away, and thus lead a bunch of other sheep straying away, the shepherd would take that, that rod and break that sheep's leg as he went to go get it from wandering. And then he would take that sheep and put it on, its ne- on his neck. And I'm sure you've seen pictures of this as well where the sheep would hang. On, there's depictions of Jesus with a sheep around his neck. And he would walk around with that sheep until the leg was nursed back to health. And there would be such a loving bond that that sheep would never wander away again, not out of fear, but out of love. There was a deep bond. Now, for the shepherd, for the shepherd with you and me, uh, the Bible speaks of God chastening us. Have you heard that word before, chastening? We don't use that word much today, um, but a better word to use in our modern-day vocabulary would be discipline. Parents, you use it all the time. Parents, our responsibility is to discipline, or another word is to train our kids to live in this world. It's not to punish them. Oftentimes we've been given the wrong message as parents that our role is to punish our kids. No, where our role is to discipline our kids. And out of the discipline, discipline comes of love and direction and always has a, has a thought to the future. We're training our kids. You know, most of the things, and some of you are here that are police officers, most of the things cops deal with is because kids never learn discipline in the home. They have no respect for authority. They have no respect for authority in their home. They have no respect for authority in the world. And so eventually they meet a cop or two down the road and have to deal with that and have to deal with the reality of, hey, you know, your kids don't need to be punished. They need to be disciplined. And it may be a painful thing for them. You know, you, there may be a, a sense in, in, one, um, in one sense where spanking is necessary when the kids are younger, where you associate pain with sin. And, and it, spanking is not to, to flip out and start beating the junk out of your kids. That's not, that's not good. God will judge you for that. That's not what we do with kids. They're precious and wonderful and glorious. We're to discipline them. But there comes a time when kids, you know, they have to discipline them a different way. You have to find out what's necessary in order to teach them a lesson. And these days, just take their phone away, man. That's it. Just turn the Wi-Fi off. That's it. Just that, that will get them. You know, just, just mess with the Wi-Fi behind the scenes and totally shut down their electronics. And just tell them. Don't do it behind their back. Tell them. 
You will not give me that phone. I'm not going to give me that phone. I'm give. No, you know, you're just like, hey, whatever it is, you need to bring discipline because I'll tell you what, the Bible says if you don't discipline your kids, you hate them. And you go, Ed, you're just making that up. No, I'm not. Turn over your Bible to Proverbs chapter 13. Let me show you. If you don't discipline, so kids right now, you, guys, you younger people are going, Pastor, be quiet. Stop it. Don't tell my parents that. I like my life the way it is. But God is using this message to discipline you and teach you that if you're not being disciplined by your parents, that's a manifestation of lack of love. They don't love you. That's what the Bible says about God. If you and I don't experience discipline from God, it just means God, God doesn't love you. So you know you're going to experience discipline. Notice from Psalm, it's just right there, right to the right. Uh, Proverbs 13, notice verse 25. Or excuse me, 24. It says, He who spares his rod hates his son. Now the phrase of sparing his rod is, you can just write next to that, that person that spares discipline. Discipline. This isn't, um, it, this isn't advice from the Bible to beat your children. That's not from God. But proper, true discipline is from God. And if you don't discipline your children, it says that you hate them. But he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Promptly. Not putting it off. You know, that's for a marriage study at another time. You don't put it off. You don't ignore it. You discipline promptly. And that's where I think in Psalm 23, David says, I'm, I'm comforted by the discipline of the shepherd. That he takes care of us. That, that he is going to make sure that the rod and the staff, they're comforting to me. The sacrifices of God, the Bible says, are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you won't despise. Where God will bring discipline in our lives to bring about brokenness. Verse 5, back in Psalm 23. It says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. After leading the valley of the shadows, we head back into the highlands. And there my shepherd takes care of me and feeds me. Shepherds would be very careful to go ahead of the flock to survey the land, looking for the green pastures, looking for the, the smooth, calm, still waters. And he would prepare the way as the enemies would look on. The predators were always, the predators knew. The pred, you know, for a predator, for animals, you know, in that sense, or even in a spiritual sense, the predators, that's all they live for is to take advantage and devour other people. That's all they live for. It's all they plot. That's all they think about. That's all they do. And so you think about when the flock, they're not thinking about predators, not thinking about taking advantage. They just want to live life. They just want to enjoy life. They just want to eat good food and drink, you know, still water. They're, they're not looking to take advantage of anyone. So a shepherd needed to look out for them. And notice he says he prepares a table. Now, you can, if you like to write in your Bibles, you can write next to this royal table. This isn't just some card table where you put some snacks out. This is like the feast of a king. That the shepherd takes so good care of us that while our enemies are watching and looking for the advantage to take, adva- to take us out and without you know, asking for us, um, you know, a, a raise of hands, I wonder how many of you have enemies in your life right now. And I don't think of just enemies as people, although at times people can come against us. That's unfortunate and sad. But we don't, have, we don't really have time to waste to, to defend ourselves and go take on our enemies. Instead, we just pull up to the table and enjoy a feast with the Lord, man. That's the key. It's not just people, though. You know, death is an enemy. So those of you that are sick, you know, the the Lord prepares a table of you so you could trust him in the midst of the sickness. 
that you can just pray for the doctors that are involved in your life and the medication and, and the, the sovereign hand of God to perhaps heal you, you can feast at the table. You know, when, we do, when, we, when we're doing hospital visits and we go into a hospital room of a believer, a hospital room of a believer is very different than going to the hospital room of an unbeliever. Because a believer, although it's very much a crisis and very difficult and very hard, there is a sense where you could see in a spiritual way this believer feasting at the table, just really in fellowship with God, trusting him even though it's very difficult. When, when we walk into a hospital visit of an unbeliever, we've got to convince them that God is real. I mean, our whole ministry is just like, hey, you know, this is the time God's getting your attention. God loves you. And yeah, you know, you're getting sick, and then I just came from room XYZ, and, and they're sick too, but they love God. Like, believers get sick. Un- I mean, when you call us to a hospital visit an unbeliever, it is an evangelistic opportunity for us to go in with the love of God, to encourage them. And there's a great difference because for those of you that have the good shepherd, you feast at the table in the presence of enemies. And, and that reminds me that, that I... I don't need to be concerned with the enemies in life. They belong, God, if my life belongs to God, then I can just really sit back and say, God, you take care of it. My life belongs to you, and I trust you with my life. Because we can carry around so many burdens in life. You know, we could carry around so much that our hands get so filled with the burdens of life. And some of the burdens are just dealing with people and dealing with situations and dealing with things that stir up fear. And, and before you know it, my hands are so full that I'm not able to use my hands for the glory of God. And, and my life becomes self-centered. I'm not looking at the shepherd anymore. I'm looking at my life, and I'm so concerned with the burdens in my life and the difficulties in my life and the people in my life and, and the, the heartbreak in my all of that. It's just like, man, I don't have, my arms are not broad enough to carry all of the pains and problems of life, except I think... At times, we attempt to do that. The Bible says for us to what? Cast all of our cares onto the Lord because he cares for us. And we need to learn to do that regularly. I found that the burdens of life fill my hands and my arms and my mind so much that I don't have the ability to help other people. Now, there's something interesting here because um, here we have coffee down in the cafe. It's free. And there's white styrofoam cups next to the coffee. Anybody notice that? Downstairs, free coffee. Now, the guys that serve here, I'm always encouraging them, don't walk around with a cup of coffee in your hand. Don't do it. Those of you ushers, greeters, pastors, don't do it. You know why? Because with a cup of coffee in the hand, it makes it very hard to shake someone's hand. You got Bible in one hand and coffee in the other, and it makes it really hard. And it makes it really hard with a cup of coffee in my hand to, to hug someone, because that would be a disaster, wouldn't it? You're forgetting. You got a cup of coffee. Hey, brother. He's oh! like, man, just put the coffee down. It, I, I didn't come to church for coffee. I came to church to serve people. That's why. So I need to have my hands ready. I need to have my hands ready. So I encourage the guys, hey, just don't walk around with it. Like, it can't be. Bring something that's covered. That way you're hugging somebody and you, it's just a little bit. It's going to get on the back, you know, not the whole thing. But, but the idea is that when you have something in your hands, it prevents you from doing something else. And whether it's just a little cup of coffee, I mean, seriously, it's just a little, like, it's not that big a deal. I would rather shake your hand. I'd rather hug you. I'd rather be a part of your life than to have my hands so occupied. Because if you do, you're thinking that, oh, I can't, I better avoid that brother. He always likes to hug, you know. And you're like, seriously, you're in church, you're a leader here, you serve the Lord, and you're avoiding people? But isn't that what happens with cares and concerns in my life? Like, you're so burdened with what's going on in your life that when you get a phone call, you see the caller ID, you know what's going on in their life, and you're like, you know, I really don't have time to talk to somebody because I'm messed up myself. I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but if you carry around burdens, that's what you feel. And then you just hit the little red button and send them the voicemail. But the Lord set that phone call up for you. 
You exist to answer your phone. That's why you live. That's why you carry a phone, to answer it. So those of you that don't answer the phone, start answering it. Or like my wife, just take it with you. That's the first step. Take your phone with you. I'll be looking for her, and I call the phone, and it rings in the other room. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. (laughs) But you answer your phone. You keep your hands free. How can you do that? How can you keep your hands free in life? You remember you have a good shepherd. He takes care of your life. He takes care of the burdens that you carry. He comforts you. He prepares a table before you. In verse 5, he anoints your head with oil. He anoints your head with oil. You know, oil was a very important tool in the shepherd. It was an ointment to heal. So he would put it on wounds. It was a lubricant to reduce friction. It was used as a repellent to protect from insects. And so often in the scriptures, oil is representative of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And you think about the good shepherd anointing us with his Holy Spirit, baptizing us with the power of the Holy Spirit, filling us with the Spirit, bringing about the Spirit as an ointment to the pains in life that we now relate to the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulation or the Holy Spirit that brings unity within the church because there's friction whenever we have people around. Whenever there's large groups of people, there's always friction. So the Holy Spirit reduces that friction in our lives. To think of oil as a repellent, you know, to keep away the things of the flesh, the, the ugliness of our flesh, the difficulty, so we can learn to be gentle with one another in love, pouring oil over us that we could get along and be strong as a force in this world that desperately needs to see the love of Jesus. And what a contrast the Spirit of God will bring to, to us than the constant frustration and temper tantrums and difficulties that so easily rise up in our lives. The dumbest things can make us mad. Just the dumbest things. You think about how many times you have flipped out over somebody cutting you off on the highway. Like, I, I know it's frustrating, but to flip out, I mean, you think, because you're on edge in the flesh. And at that point, if that's happening in your life, you just need to pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's one thing to be upset. It's another thing to be flipped out about something. An outburst of wrath. And what does God do? The Holy Spirit. I mean, even out here in the parking lot sometimes, it's a very interesting place. (laughs) The enemy would love to rip you off with some goofy thing, you know, in the parking lot. And, And we've heard just about all of it. And I haven't had this here, but when I was serving in California in the parking lot, we had, we had this major fist fight happen right in the parking lot. They, were, they just came out of church. We were, just had their hands up in the air, waving them like they just don't care, and then <laughs> worshiping God, and then something happened in the parking lot, and I was there as one of the leaders of the church to break up, a, I mean, get right in the middle like it was a high school fight. That's just the flesh. And you know that we need more of the Spirit than we do of the flesh. And how does the shepherd do that? He anoints us with oil. We need it. You might just need to ask for it today. He says, Lord, I need to be more in the spirit. Give me the right priorities. Surely, verse 6, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That eternal perspective. With the shepherd, goodness and mercy follow me. David's speaking of the sovereign grace. I mean, I think he just ends the psalm just like, man... The shepherd's so good, he's promised me eternity. He's so good. He's, so, he's taking care of me now, and he's going to take care of me all the way into eternity. So when Jesus says that he's the good shepherd, he's promising goodness in your life. He's promising mercy. They'll follow you. They'll be a part of you all the days of your life. Not like it was when you were your own shepherd, 
or you submitted yourself to something else. You didn't live for God. You didn't, it's not like that. that. That's not. Goodness and mercy don't follow those that can try to control their own life. No, just trouble and disaster follow those that live for themselves. But with the good shepherd, goodness and mercy, you can pray for that. You can claim this from God. God, show me your goodness. Extend to me your mercy all the days of your life. There's a thing in our life right now that this is the daily prayer. And we're just saying, Lord, show us mercy. Show us mercy. You know, when I'm praying with people that unfortunately have a court date coming up and they've broken the law and they know that they're guilty, I don't go in there and tell them. I don't give them the counsel. You just go in and plead innocent. No, I say, you go in and you ask for mercy. Ask for mercy before the judge. Ask that God would go before you. It's something that God has promised, certainly goodness and mercy. You know, decide, don't, don't break the law again. And if you have to pay the price for breaking the law, ask for mercy. Ask for what you don't deserve. You know, definitely don't go to a judge and say, give me everything I deserve. Don't do that. Don't pray that to God. God, give me everything I deserve. You're gone. It's mercy and grace. It's mercy and grace. And you have to be wronged in order to cry out. You have to be on the side of wrong You have to, in order to cry out for mercy. God, be merciful. And you go, well, will he be merciful? Well, goodness and mercy is going to follow me. So I claim that in my life. I want that. You're listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. And don't rush away. Ed will be right back with a powerful poem. We're going through the Gospel of John right now, and you can hear this message again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through our app. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. And we're also on OnePlace.com and have a podcast, too. We all have stubborn habits in our lives. Maybe it's a tendency to worry, drink alcohol, lust, or curse. And perhaps you're finding it very difficult to break. Well, we've got a helpful book to share with you from Erwin Lutzer called How to Break a Stubborn Habit. As the name of the title would suggest, this book will help you shake that nasty habit. We'll send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Just call and ask for How to Break a Stubborn Habit. Our number is 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. You can also order online at calvaryco.store. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generous support of our listeners. And as we deliver God's Word one verse at a time, we're looking to our listeners for help. Together, we can reach people with the love and truth of Christ and make a difference in these last days. To make a secure donation, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com or call us at 877-30-GRACE. All right, as promised, here's Pastor Ed to close things out. So I want to close with this little poem that I found. I don't know the author, but I know somebody wrote it. I didn't write it. Somebody wrote it. I'll have to find the author later, but just listen. It's, it's pretty cool. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want rest because he says he makes me to lie down in green pastures. I shall not be thirsty spiritually because he says he leads me beside still waters. I shall not want preservation for he says he restores my soul. I shall not want guidance for he says he leads me. I shall not want peace, for it says I'll fear no evil. I shall not want comfort, for he says your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I shall not want provision, because he says you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I shall not want joy, because he says you anoint my head with oil. I shall not want anything, because he says my cup runs over. We even missed that completely. I mean, you think of an overflowing cup. And that's a whole Bible study in and of itself, an overflowing cup. 
Your cup is not just half empty. It's overflowing. And the reason it's overflowing is so that you can share with others. That's what you do when you have too much. You share with others. I mean, you could do that when you have just a little. But when your cup is overflowing, you're automatically thinking, what can I do to bless other people? He says, my cup, I'm not going to want anything because my cup runs over. I won't want happiness. I shall not want happiness now because he says, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall not want for the future for he says, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Everything you need is right there in your relationship with Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, satisfying your spiritual thirst, preserving you, promising you guidance, promising you peace. You don't have to be lonely. You'll be comforted. You'll be provided for. You'll be happy. You'll, you'll have the hope of heaven beyond the grave. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You're experiencing a divorce, but the Lord is with you. Your parents are all over the place, but God's taking care of you. You're looking for work right now, and God's gone before you. You're lonely and sad, but God has joy for you. You're in the valley of grief and mourning in the valley of the shadow of death, but you're comforted because the Lord is with you. I mean, I'm telling you, you have to have the good shepherd as your shepherd because any other shepherd will just wreck your life. The Lord is there. And when we get back into John 10, he's not done talking about being a good shepherd. And with that in mind, you're just kind of like, okay, Lord, you take good care of me. You take good care of me. Be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from the Gospel of John. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora. 